RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Live is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and their collection of exclusive Star Trek visual reference books and other great titles and gifts waiting for you at herocollector.com slash books. Use promo code MISSION10 at checkout for 10% off all books and graphic novels. It is 7 o'clock, and if I was really smart, which I'm really not sometimes, I did not turn off the audio on my delay feed, which just literally popped my eardrums out a la SETI Alpha 5 eel, uh, warm eels, uh, earworms, so I can't even hear myself. Anyway, welcome to Mission Log Live. I'm sorry it started off so uh, abruptly, but... Don't pay attention to me. Don't pay attention to anything that I say because the person that you want to pay attention to is on the other side of my screen. She's going to pop up in one second. So, hey, say hello to Holly Amos. Holly, how are you? I'm going to try and hear you because my eardrums are really blown out right now. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm great. I can't hear anything but you. So, am I more tech savvy than you and John? Probably. Most likely, yes. (laughs) Definitely more than me and maybe slightly more than John. Yeah. Hi, everybody. <laughs> how are things? Oh, uh, how are things going? <laughs> I got to go into the live chat because I'm pretty sure. Uh, let's see. I'm pretty sure we're going to get some good comments off of that. At least you didn't blind yourself. The evening's young, Paul. The evening, I, okay, the evening's young. The evening's young. That could still happen. He could still blind himself. Alan Perry says it was fine, Norm. Um, okay. Well, I'm glad it was. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of recovering. It's so loud. Like literally the delay hits you like at full volume and it's ridiculous. But, uh, you know, all that aside, I'm glad to be back with Holly. We're going to be talking about Discovery episode. It's episode six. It is episode six. Wow. We're Look, trucking this along. Is, this is like halfway because it's 13 episodes, right? Are we 13 episodes this season or are we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We're, so we're... we're I didn't really think, think 10. Was Picard 10 episodes? I think Picard was 10 episodes, okay. yeah. But we're yeah, like, think... you know, 50%-ish, 48%-ish. Either way, though, what an episode. I can't wait. I know. It was a great one. episode. There was so much, so much happened. <laughs> <laughs> Before we jump into that, I just wanted to say to, uh, hi to everybody who has been waiting. We had some early, uh, some early birds here. So we have Taya's here, Chris Riker's here, Evelyn. Hello, Evelyn's here. Oh, look, we, we have a newbie. Early birds. We do. Matthew Parsons is a newbie. Hi, first time here. Recently found your podcast and thought I'd try your live show to see what's happening. Well, he said he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> what? Well, Hi. You will I'm not on the regular out. show. <laughs> ah. Matthew, this is Holly Amos. Holly Amos is pretty much uh, our, our tech trivia um, information guru extraordinaire. Ask her any of the questions in the call. I'm just here for the food. <laughs> And not necessarily for the tech support. Definitely not for the tech support. So. Uh, nice to see you, uh, Matthew. Chris Riker again is here. Brad, hi. Eddie, hi. Um, I said hi to Evelyn. Uh, Jeff is here. But I always, every time I see this version of Jeff, Jeff Owen, I always like to say Gioff because that's the way I used to call my friends Jeff um, Gioff in high school. So hi, Gioff. I'm probably sure that's not the first time you heard it. And um, I apologize if that offends you. Oh, Really? Bill Smith is here, just saying hi. Have a great show, Norman Lowen, Holly. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, what does that even mean? Say, have a great show yourself, Bill. <laughs> Jeez, jerk. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love Bill. You, he knows I do. Um, 
Barry's here. I don't see any Pauls yet. Oh, are we Paulus? Oh, there we go. No, we're not oh, Paulus. We're not we, got, we, got a, okay. we got one, two. There they are. Wow, they come in waves, like clusters, <laughs> like, beetle, like beetle dice. Paul Wright, Rick Carter. Alan, hey, Alan, how you doing? And Dominic, hi, how are you? Carlos, Rhonda, Tate said hi, and there's Matthew again. Thanks, everybody, for showing up, and thanks, everybody, for uh, indulging my technical mistakes at the very beginning of the show. That's fantastic. So uh, I want to catch up with Holly a little bit because I didn't uh, have a chance to talk to her about um, uh, Star Trek Discovery from last week. Uh, there's so much going on with Star Trek Discovery this season. It's, I know. It, I, there's there's so many different like conversion, and I know like what they're doing. Like they did it last season, and this is their storytelling now. Is there's all of these like separate and converge at the end, but the, it's it's a lot to take in. So much is happening. I think one of the things that I love the most so far about this season, and we're only halfway in, is that there are so many, there's so many like great moments for all the cast to shine. Like they're having their own, um, more so I think in the first two seasons, like all the cast members are having like a really nice um, focus every so often in in the episodes, and and this episode is no exception. But for me, uh, some a character that. I've enjoyed over the first two seasons, but I am absolutely, just absolutely in love with is Doug Jones' Saru. I think Saru is absolutely just a phenomenally well-written character this season. Yeah. And he's, he's been great the past two seasons, but this season... But just, he's sort of, I mean, he's... not. I don't know if stagnate is the right word the last two seasons, but he hasn't gotten as much development in the last two seasons as he's gotten even, you know, halfway through this season. Like, he's gotten yeah. so much development this yeah. season, so... Yeah. And we're going to get to that probably. Well, I don't know because we have. We usually we like write some fantastic notes, but we have so many fantastic callers, so it's kind of like a little trade off of notes <laughs> to get to our callers. Um, so I, uh, I just wanted to take care of a little bit of housekeeping here because uh, there's a lot of stuff coming up on Mission Log. So next week, Mission Log Live is back on Monday. Uh, that's after the holiday break. So John and Holly are back then to discuss Star Trek Discovery Episode Seven Unification Three. Ah! I'm so, so excited. Obviously referencing the next generation unifications one and, and two. two. Also, did anybody notice that the pilot episode of this uh, season is a part one and, and part two is not in the season? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, part two is not there. So I, I, lo- I love this. I love that they're taking a part three from TNG and we don't know where part two of the first of the, of the first episode of the season is going to be because it's not in the list that's wild yeah i'm excited i don't know what unification part three means but i'm real jazzed (laughs) so as as of this live show the teaser has come out so any speculation as to what you have seen uh, I have some theories, but I don't feel like it was a, I mean, and I, this is, you know, obviously what they want is they want to tease you. They want you, if they give it away, you won't come and watch the episode. I mean, I'd watch the episode either way, but um, I have some theories, but I don't think they gave me enough information to form, like to be, for me to be like, sure, like absolutely that's what's going to happen. That's what this means. I mean, that, that, that's a good trailer then. That's a, I'm that's hoping a, that you know? we're going to learn more about you know, Romulus, and I, I mean, that's what that was, is, you know, it, for those of you who don't recall, Unification was Romulus, and, and that was the episodes that Spock was in, Leonard Nimoy Spock, mm-hmm. 
original that was stock. A big deal too. It that was, was like, a big deal. Yeah, it was. That, a that was advertised all over the place. I mean, they spent yeah. a lot of money on that. Yeah. You know, so. uh, it was like you know, Leonard Nimoy returns to TV for the first time <gasps> since the original series. You know, I'm like, wow, right? And he looked great in Romulan shoulder pads. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, also, this Thursday on Mission Log, we are off for the Thanksgiving holiday. So, for those of you who celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday, most of the people here and um, our listeners in the U.S. and and even if you want to enjoy just eating tons of food abroad, uh, we are not going to be uh, on our regular schedule this Thanksgiving holiday. But we did drop a special supplemental edition earlier today. Um, talking about some of the listener emails that have come in and also uh, focusing on a really fantastic interview with Star Trek Cocktails author Glenn Dakin uh, from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. So uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, for some reason, in any universe, a Warp Core Breach drink is absolutely devastating. That's all I know about Star Trek Cocktails. It's served in a giant fishbowl, yeah. No matter where it's made, it has four different types of one kind of liquor. And uh, hopefully someone has passed the command codes off to somebody else because no one should be flying a ship after that, like ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely going to warp into an asteroid or something, right? That's <laughs> terrible. And also, cufflinks.com, they are giving away 10 Star Trek lapel pins, very much like what you're seeing I'm wearing right here. To Mission Log listeners, we'll pick five winners, each from our Facebook and Twitter pages. So that's five from Facebook, five from Twitter for a total of 10 lapel pins. The contest entry is pinned at the pinned. <laughs> I didn't write this. John wrote this. It's pinned <laughs> at the top of each page. Just like it and tag a friend. Contest ends December 1st and we'll pick winners at random. But Hooray. random really works better when $100 bills are involved, usually made out to an envelope with my name. Wow. I'm just saying, that's just how physics works for me. So, <laughs> all right, that's how RNG works for me. <laughs> so enough for my yammering, Holly. Let's get into some of the poll stuff. What's going on with the polls? Well, polls. So last week we asked, what was everybody's favorite invention of the 32nd century thus far? We had 173 votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Voyager J got 23%. The USS Snog got 35%, which 35% is actually the winner. Yay, Nog. The Flying Rainforest only got 12%. Nobody cares mm. about the Flying Rainforest. And David Cronenberg, unfortunately, only got 30%. His classes were so fantastic. Good enough though. for second place. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was waiting for like him to like light up a cigarette, a lot of like, you know, the, the cigarette smoking man style, you know, in the X-Files. I mean, he was very much like that character, wasn't he? Yeah, we was just like chilling out and all of a sudden I just wanted to see him like light up, you know. He's like, such yeah. a great character, though. Yeah, I'm. And, just, I I hope that we see much more of him. Obviously, he wasn't in this week's episode, but I hope we see more of that character. But, uh, so th- this week we oh, asked, uh, "Would you? What would you buy from uh, the salvage yard?" Mm. So far, we have seventy-seven votes. Self-sealing stem bolt, nineteen percent. Combat, sixteen percent. Twenty-fourth century phaser, thirteen percent. And a Miranda-class starship is currently winning. Because why wouldn't you want to get a starship? And right. um, why wouldn't you want a Miranda class at 52%? Mm-hmm. All of which, all of the items on that list, by the way, we see in the episode. A Miranda class starship. I mean, if even like, <laughs> they just kind of like teased out you know, like an ANT, you know, or like a 1657 or something like like somewhere along that line. Did I say that right? Is that 1650? No, it's 18. Oh, gosh. Holly, help me out. Here. <laughs> <laughs> the Reliant, 1860. 
somewhere. Are you, are you trying? What are you trying to do? The registry? I'm trying number? to remember his registry. NCC one. Eight, oh, I the registry six. numbers bypass me completely, except for Discovery because it's Halloween. Darn it. Okay. Anyway, I'm sure this. You know what? If it just had a one eight and just charred hull remains, that would be. I, I'd have to go look it up. 1836. No. I think, I think, uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, I voted for the phaser because the phaser that they show is one of is like my favorite of that of that time period. It's. <laughs> It's not officially known as, like, it's sort of like what they call it behind the scenes, but it's the boomerang style, which is like the late, late TNG and stuff. So that's the I, one that kind of like hugs the hip really well, right? Because it has that really nice curve to it. Yeah, it's got a nicer curve. So the earlier ones are a little bit more chunky and they were called, they called them mm-hmm. dolphins. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, they look like dolphins, but they yeah. were, they were chunkier. But I, I really enjoyed the sleekness of, yes, I voted for that. I voted for the phaser. <laughs> I wanted the combat, and I was telling Holly this before we got on the air. I wanted the the Voyager style combat, you know, with the with the more kind of like a trapezoidal background to it. And I just wanted to see kind of like a, a charred remain on it, you know, and something that said Captain Harry Kim somewhere along the lines, you know, on that combat, maybe on the back. I'm just saying that's just being hopeful. Um, okay, so 1864. 1864. <laughs> Uh, Dominic says, self-stealing stembles. That's a lot of yamak sauce. It sure is. It sure yeah. is. But I mean, we still don't know what those do, which I, f- I feel like is part of the reason why they're... I mean, actually, they're, I was going to say what, part of the reason why they're losing, but they're actually in second place. <laughs> um, let's see here. Holly's, uh Paul Harveth is asking you what you are drinking tonight, if you care to answer. Ice water. I drink ice, ice water every time. I'm so boring. It's because I have a ring light and it's so hot. So I'm always, I'm drinking ice water. I would show it to you, but I might spill. <laughs> there you go, folks. Ice water. That is part of your trivia package for today. Um, so we have a, a fantastic treat for all of you. This is Thanksgiving week and I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something special for, for all the fans, and especially for all of Holly fans. So Holly's fans. So Holly is going to do the recap for <laughs> this week. <laughs> it is all you. This is wild to me that you're like, oh, it's going to be such a treat. Um, guys, th- there was so, in my defense, there's so much going on in this episode. And I was writing the recap and I was like, I'm too thorough. This is way too much information. So my apologies. <laughs> I'm going to apologize up front because it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while. It's going to be amazing. All right, scavengers. The Discovery has been given a refit, complete with detachable nacelles, thanks to programmable matter. During a Starfleet briefing, Captain Saru is told to stand by as the planet Argus may need assistance over the next 12 hours as the Emerald Chain is a threat. Meanwhile, the Discovery crew is receiving new tech, including all-in-one comm badges. They also include personal transporters, hollow pads, and a tricorder. And the bridge's interfaces are updated with programmable matter. So fancy. As they play with their new toys, a hail from an unknown ship comes in. And it's Grudge. Hashtag Space Cat. She's aboard Book's ship. Book's ship is pulled in via a tractor beam. And a recorded message from Book to Burnham is discovered. He says he knows of a black box on, on Hun Hao. A salvage planet controlled by the Emerald Chain. 
and he is on his way to investigate, but program the ship to bring grudge to discovery had if he hadn't returned within 24 hours. This message is three weeks old. So something has definitely gone awry. The black boxes in the future do what they do for us today, records the data of the ships, which might include information on the burn and the ship's last moments if they can be located and analyzed, but they're, they're super hard to find. Burnham has so far gotten her hands on two that didn't stop recording at the exact same time, which raises her suspicions about the nature of the burn. A third black box may help shed more light on this mystery, helping triangulate the origin of the burn. But the Discovery can't go fleeting off to the to rescue book in this box. They're on call for the Argeth crisis. Burnham is less than thrilled about Saru's adherence to this order, believing that the priority should be solving the mystery of the burn so that Starfleet can be stabilized. Burnham later approaches Giorgio about going on an unsanctioned mission, which obviously Giorgio, being Giorgio, is totally on board with. They head out with Book's ship. As they arrive at Hanhao, they're hailed. Giorgio, in her way, negotiates permission to land by offering up dilithium as a trade with the Orion, who is in charge. Burnham, meanwhile, has reverse-engineered a system meant to find grudge if she ever got lost in order to find Book. On the planet, the Orion, who we learn his name's Talor. Talor. He explains that he's the nephew of the facility's owner, Osira. She also essentially owns all of the workers, so like they're slaves. Ugh. They enter under the guise of searching for pre-2400 technology. An Andorian, Rin, is implanting a device on a worker and apologizes for doing so, but he's rebuffed. Book is nearby, working with a Bajoran named Lai, who also snaps at Rin. While discussing Osiris' fondness of killing those who don't cooperate, Book spots Burnham and Giorgio. Meanwhile, Lai steals a water ration and is caught. He's killed by Talor, who forces him to run past the perimeter fence, at which point his neck device explodes, decapitating him. So that's a yikes. Giorgio discusses the perimeter fence tech with Talor while Burnham and Book retreat to a secluded area to talk without being seen. They hug and Book explains that the black box is hidden in his quarters, that he can't leave because he has one of those implants, and that Rin was born into the emerald chain, had his antenna caught off by Osira because he was uncooperative at one point, and was given the assignment of implanting all of the workers, basically making him a pariah. They're soon approached by Talor and Giorgio, at which point Burnham says she will need 40 minutes to inspect the parts, the time left before the shift change. Talor assigns a drone to follow them as he handles an accident. On Discovery, Saru fills in Tilly on Burnham's order violation and expresses his mistrust in her. Tilly encourages him to tell Admiral Vance, for fear it will reflect on the entire crew if he finds out otherwise, which Saru actually later does that. On Hun Hao, Burnham destroys the drone, which sets off an alarm, and Giorgio builds a weapon out of the parts. Rin informs the other workers of a plan to escape on a transport ship and hands the black box, which he has since retrieved, to Book. Burnham and Giorgio allow themselves to get arrested and, es- and get escorted back to Book's ship to retrieve dilithium as the workers begin their escape. The women take out the arresters and obtain the perimeter fence controller, bringing it down for the workers to escape. Ren, however, is injured during the attempt and Burnham and Giorgio arrive to assist and beam Book and Ren aboard. Book hands Burnham the black box. They finally make their budding romance official, but she's demoted by Saru as a result of her insubordination. In other news, we discover that Giorgio is having debilitating flashbacks of a death in the Terran Empire, which she confines at Burnham about. 
Adira Tall is still having conversations with Gray, which she confides in Stamets about after redesigning the spore drive, which allows him to have those, those shunts removed. Tilly doesn't like cats, and Linus is inappropriately transporting all over the ship. The end. Well done, Holly. That was fantastic. Come on. Ah, so much happened. So much happened. <laughs> <laughs> so as, uh, as we usually do at this time with uh, after the recap, uh, we have one of two ways of choosing our adventure. We can go into some of our notes, but I'm sure that you probably want to take a little bit of a breather from talking about the recap, and we can go into some of our calls. So as our guest on the show, dealer's choice, what would you like to do? Let's, let's talk to our first caller. I'm winded. All righty. So, <laughs> <laughs> Earl, who do we have up first? We have up first, we have Chris. What's happening, Chris? My friend, thank you for calling in again. Where are you today? Uh, I'm out here in Los Pollos Hermanos. Oh, I grabbed okay. some dinner. I'm leeching off their free Wi-Fi. It's, uh, Maynard is a real nice guy. He came out. He talked to me. Uh, he seems real chill. Yeah. Los Pollos Hermanos. Here. The Chicken Brothers? But yeah. Yeah. The Chicken Brothers. Breaking Bad. That's Breaking right. Bad. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. I don't know uh, Los Pollos Hermanos. I don't. you don't watch Breaking Bad. I forgot about that. It's all good. Okay. Um, anyway, no, this week, uh, I am feeling a little uneasy with Burnham and her wanton desire to commit felonies. Um, it's, mm. I don't know. How, how you think her I, motivation is misplaced? I, I think the problem, my problem is, like, she went to Saru and she was like, hey, I think there's in hell, and also maybe my boyfriend is in danger. And the thing is, Saru didn't say, like, no, never. Saru said, can we, like, chill for a day? Let's go jump to this other place where we're clearly needed and then, like, circle back. Which also, I, thought- I mean, to be fair, Saru is adhering to the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, right? That because as well. She's- She's well. like yeah. a man. I mean, he even he even says this. Like, she's like a man's life is in danger, and he's like, "There's a whole planet." Like, right. So yeah. it's like I get where she's coming from, and I get why she's doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's like I don't think this was like your only option. You weren't being told outright no. You were being told there's priorities, and you know the fact that even later in the episode that what's his face Vance is like, you know, I probably would have told you yes if you had just asked me. If you had just followed the rules, right? It's like, and I think there's a difference between having friction between your characters, and I think that was always going to be part of Saru and Burnham's dynamic as the kind of yin yang, two sides of the coin, and having Burnham just wantonly break all the rules all the time. So I don't know. I'm, I'm uneasy about that. I'm also uneasy about the show trying to make me feel bad for her and or Saru at the end there. I'm like, no, you, she broke the rules. She gets right. to be punished for it. She does say, and I actually, the first time I watched it, when he's walking away after demoting her, she says, you're doing the right thing. Right. And the first time I watched it, the, the tone in Sonequa's voice almost made it sound like she was questioning it. Like, it sounded at first like she was saying, are you doing the right thing? But upon a second watch, she actually tells him, you're doing the right thing. That's, that is a statement. Mm-hmm. Like, so she knows, at least there is an admission there. Like, she's not, you know, digging in and doubling down on what she did. Mm-hmm. Like, she knows that she did that out of, you know, I mean, to be fair, she finally admitted that she has feelings for, for Book, which is a level of vulnerability that she 
hadn't, I mean, the whole scene with Giorgio where she's like, no, like, I'm not, I'm not in love with him. What are you talking about? And I think that vulnerability plays a really big role in this episode because you have Burnham not admitting that she very clearly has, has feelings for book. You have Giorgio who's having these flashbacks and is like pushing them aside. And, and Burnham is even like, this is not the Terran Empire. Like, if you have a vulnerability, you can talk about it. And then you have the whole situation between Adiratol and Stamets, and they're confiding in each other. So there's a lot of vulnerability happening. Um, but to your point, at least Burnham admits that, you know, what she did was not okay. Maybe, okay, so Chris, this is something that I wrote in, in one of my notes, and maybe this might give you a little bit of, um, at least a little bit of, of how I see it, and maybe it might be able to help you kind of like uh, navigate through her path right now. Um, Burnham, she was the, I mean, they, they do make it a point that she was, she came in a year before discovery and the relationship that she had with, with book has with book and moving uh, from place to place to place to try and figure out where the black boxes are so that she can like help restore the Federation gave her a lot of independence and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of agency with her decision-making processes of doing the right thing. So I always, I was always looking at this as uh Saru's choice for number one, um, as Burnham was the right choice at the time because she had the most uh, connectivity to the crew. You know, the crew respected her. Um, most of the high-ranking members of the bridge crew, uh, they worked with her really well. And, you know, she had the pulse of that crew. And uh, she also had their loyalty. Uh, that was the right choice. But like he said, this is a different federation. This is a different time. And we have different needs and the federation has different goals. So one of the choices of a captain is that the captain has to make that choice of what is best for the Federation, not what is best for me and not as what is best for Burnham, what is best for the Federation. And I, I think that that's a huge growth point for both Burnham saying that you made the right choice in demoting me and letting me go to, about my duties because that's every single choice I've seen in Star Trek always comes down to either a monumental version or a micro version of the Kobayashi Maru. What does that choice mean and how do you live with the consequences of that choice? In this case, Saru has to grow from his relationship with Burnham or else he will never be able to make the harder choices as captain, you know, and he is becoming a beautifully evolved captain throughout the course of this series, but he has to make these hard choices and, and Burnham respecting his authority has to know that she's going to get demoted in some way, but it's no different than say what Kirk did to go save Spock. He knew his career was on the line. That's a fair point. That's a good connection. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's like, he, you know what? He's my friend. In this case, Book is her friend slash, you know, a love interest. But what is my career at Starfleet worth if I don't follow the calling of my heart? But was Kirk really reprimanded? Like he was demoted from Admiral, a desk job that he hated, back mm -hmm. to Captain so he could go gallivanting around space again, which is exactly what he wanted. But you have to take it in the context <laughs> of just understanding three at that time, you know? And look what he lost in the process. He lost his ship. You know, he lost. Well, he his lost son. his son. And his like, son. He the ship first. Yeah, well, he lost his child. He, yeah, but his. I'll be honest here. His ship was more important to him than his child. That's. I mean, you fair. Know, I hate to say it, but it's he true. didn't know David existed <laughs> until very recently. Yeah, when, when David uh, got stabbed, he's like, you know, David's dead, and he fell out of his chair. But when he looked at the ship, he's like, my God, bones, what have I done? <laughs> you know. So I don't know if that helps you, Chris, um, but that's just kind of like the way I see it. Uh, what, what the great thing is about these characters and discoveries is that they're all kind of like, they're going through all of these personal challenges and in each challenge there's growth. 
And through growth, there's a lot of painful processes involved. But I think what's really great about Burton is that she knows that this is going to happen. Do we know? So, who do you, you know, think is going to be? Who do you think is going to be? Who's going to think what? The new XO? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm Because I was trying to think who are like the other high-ranking people on Discovery. And it's like all the other people already have things. Like Stamets is the engineer and Colbert is the doctor. And I don't think it's going to be any of the bridge crew because I like the dynamic of the bridge crew is like a cohesive unit. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. That's tough. I'm rooting, for, I'm rooting for Tilly, but a lot of people are thinking that it's going to be Nielsen. That's what I I'm thinking. See, I, I could see Nielsen. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd, go, I'd buy that. Nobody, no, I haven't seen anybody say Reese. Nobody thinks Reese? She's had the con. Reese has had the con. Yeah. So I'm still rooting for Tilly. Know. I just want Tilly to get to captain. Go Tilly. And, and, maybe, and maybe this is where, say, uh, Stamets, Stamets brings Adira into the engineering family and Tilly moves into that command track because that conversation with, with Saru, and it, it's not a coincidence that she and Saru are being paired so many times because she's learning, she's growing. And that line where she basically said, yeah, I love Michael, but Michael made the wrong decision for Starfleet. She made the right decision for her, made the wrong decision for Starfleet. That's a sign of maturity on Tilly's part because Tilly would have bent over backwards to, to protect Burnham's secret in season one. Uh, somebody in chat is saying um, Linus. I love Linus, but he d- can't even work his new badge, you guys. Somebody says Detmer. Detmer, we listen. Detmer's we all got issues. We, we got to work through we that. Gotta, <laughs> we got to figure out what's wrong with her. Uh, yeah, somebody somebody said that Detmer is is our, she's too unstable. I agree with that. Yeah. We have a little bit more time for you here, Chris. So, is there anything else that uh, that you'd like to, to touch on before we? Uh... Move to the yeah. next caller. Yeah, uh, keep it a little bit lighter here. Uh, so I thought that we are ha- since we're halfway through the season. Um, I just update everybody on everyone's favorite topic: robot friend watch. Uh, oh yeah, right. <laughs> oh yeah, they're refitting the ship. Yeah, so we saw the new robot friend, future friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week we saw him refitting the ship with the old dot sevens, and we also saw him in that little conference room. I'm also still puzzled, not puzzled. Like, half of the episodes we've seen so far have started with, like, very clear lingering shots on the Dot 7s. And I'm like, this could just be that we bought this asset from the CG company and we want to use it. Or is there something here? Like, my my long shot, like, wild theory is that the Discovery computer is going to evolve and, like, possess a Dot 7 and start talking with people. I don't think that's really going to happen, but also, like, we're spending a lot of camera time looking at the dot sevens. And I mean, they're in the I, intro, too, so that's, it's... Right. Well, the one yeah. in the intro, I think, is the, the new future buddy, because Discovery I mean, has... It's still, yes, a, it's still a robot. Robots are everywhere. They're, the, robots the robots are there. Are, they're there, they're everywhere, uh, but yeah, they're, they're out, they're about, they're doing things. Uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> I love your wish list, Chris. It's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to see one of those that used to happen for you so that you can call in and say, like, I told you so. I'm excited about the refit, though. And I'm, I, I love that they did the dash A. And I think that it's, it's a good callback. But it's also obvious that, like, I saw a lot of chatter, like, why would they do? It's not even a new ship. Like, why would they do a dash A? You have to keep in mind that, like, it's illegal to have, like, done what they did, which is jump 930 years into the future. Like, time travel is illegal. Right. So I feel like the, the Dash A is meant to actually hide that it's it's a ship from the past. 
and like the the massive amounts of refit. Why they would have had right? <laughs> why they would have had NCC ten thirty one and then dash A nine hundred and thirty later nine hundred and thirty years later and it wouldn't be like dash J or something. Who knows? But um, yeah, I like yeah. that they did the dash A though. It's a nice callback. And we don't have. I don't think. I don't think the 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 infinity of the universe has enough time to talk about the, you know, like the minutia between all the different inconsistencies with dashes, no dashes, refits, no refits, this, no that. You know, that's. Ah, oh, if I only got like a nickel for every second that we could spend on that, I'd have a lot. I of could. Nickels. I could deep dive minutia, but we'll uh, we'll stick to more broad topics. I could um, go off. <laughs> thanks, Chris, for your call. And uh, it's good seeing you, my friend. Um, yeah. Enjoy Hope your chicken, well. I guess, right? Enjoy your oh, chicken. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, we'll do. We'll do. <laughs> and um, be safe, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time, okay? All right. See you guys. All right. Take care, my friend. All righty. So we are at the uh, bottom half of the hour, and it's time to talk about Eagle Moss Hero Collector. And we're going to talk specifically about pretty much like an amazing product line uh, that we don't talk about often enough, but we do talk about here on Star Trek um, on Mission Log Live, and that's the bookshop. And that's the bookshop. So a lot of the Mission Log listeners um, who have either heard this before or, say, Matthew, who's here for the first time, a lot of the fans are, are familiar with the collections of the model star ships, you know, from uh, the next generation ships, all the, all the miniature ships uh, that Eagle Moss Hero Collector puts out. They're incredibly detailed. Uh, they're, they're fantastic to collect. They have fantastic magazines and tons of information that come in all those collectibles. But they also have a book line, which is just as high quality. They're incredibly collectible. And they are officially authorized special edition books published by Eagle Moss and available online at the Eagle Moss shop. Mm-hmm. Fans who pay a visit to the exclusive Star Trek bookshop at herocollector.com slash books will discover a range of definitive visual guides that go as deep into Star Trek history and canon as any books ever published. Each extensively researched and developed by Eagle Moss Hero Collector and under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson. <laughs> Yay, Ben! Hey, ben Robinson. Books from the Starship Shipyard series present a timeline of almost every ship that has ever appeared in Star Trek TV shows and movies from the original series forward to Discovery and backwards to Enterprise. Some of these volumes are dedicated exclusively to Starfleet ships, while others focus on ships from other members of the Federation, including the Vulcans, the Andorians, the Tellarites, and the Bajorans. Books in the Designing Starship series boldly go where few have gone before, deep behind the scenes into the conception, development, and details of ships from every era. There are even volumes from the comprehensive official Star Trek graphic novel collection. So this is, uh, this is probably the perfect opportunity for a lot of people who are trying to look for that special thing for their special Star Trek family member, friend, or somebody who thinks that they would like something special from the Edel Moss store. So there's something for every Star Trek fan of every generation. Plus, especially for friends of Mission Log Live, use Mission 10 at checkout and receive 10% off all books and graphic novels. To browse around the shop, visit herocollector.com slash books and use promo code MISSION10, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-1-0, no dash A, at checkout <laughs> for your 10% discount. I had to get that in. <laughs> no bloody A, B, C, or D. <laughs> All righty, Earl, who do we have next? We have Paul V. Harvey. Yeah. One of the pillars One of, of the my Paul. Paul Fectas, the Paul Nucorpia 
It's Paul the, Prime, I believe, the last time I was online. The, Paul, the Paulapalooza, if you will. We've lost track. We should make a list. Oh, good Lord. Now, I, like the, I like the video stores last week. That was pretty fun. <laughs> that was crazy. What's All right, so yeah, how, how, uh, how great are cats that they can actually run starships now? The grudge right? effect is, is working its way in. It's awesome. Grudge. She's and queen. then the, the lizard guy moving... Uh, Honest to God, that's the funniest thing I've seen in Star Trek in a long time. Linus, yeah. that he doesn't know how to work his badge? Particularly in the elevator. He's perfection. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, okay, so I got my major point. You know, I'm trying to figure out if you guys interpret it the same way. When when the dressing down was happening with the Admiral and the Captain, Saru and, and um, uh, the perpetrator there, she was, was he saying that Saru should have talk to her or let her go I, i'm trying to figure that out i'm not sure if he was getting yelled at as well um what's your take on on that communication between saru and his superior on on his behavior towards um what his subordinate did oh, saru and the admiral yeah that, that scene? yeah you know um Management styles are really interesting, uh, especially when it comes to, say, like kind of like these, the, the upper echelons of management. And uh, with this admiral, I think he wants to see essentially wh- where Saru's decision making process is, is coming from. Is it coming from understanding the Federation as he understands it now, because he is part of that entire briefing process? Or is he still loyal to the crew that he has been through all of these adventures with um, 930 years prior? So who does Saru's loyalties lie? Is it with Federation and the, the, this, uh, this process to reforge Starfleet? Or is it with Burnham and protecting her, meaning that you have someone in your higher rank and echelon of command that has people under his command that he protects while they go rogue? He needs to see what Saru is going to do before he actually disciplines Saru for those actions. And that's that's the way I saw it. I mean, I pretty much feel like I saw it the same way. Is And there's a lot of trust that's not there yet, right? Because they're they've suddenly popped up 930 years and, you know, Vance is like, I, you know... I don't know what the truth is because you guys are telling me something that history tells it differently. And I think to your point, him sort of spot checking where his loyalties lie, uh, that is absolutely happening, but they're all sort of feeling each other out. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it, it sort of felt like a test, you know, it's like, um, does like the Admiral's trying to figure out if Sue's got enough, guts to to actually trust his subordinate to say yeah you should have talked to her about this and maybe let her do it because if right. you look at this versus what kirk used to do i mean it, it's like and granted she's and spock spock was number two right he'd just go run off remember when he took pike to the planet and then <laughs> it's like okay there's a lot of inconsistency here i know it's a thousand years up but um, I think Saru, Saru's really concerned, right, with the same thing that Tilly even had a conversation with him about is mm-hmm. that, like, this is all going to reflect on us as as a unit because, like, we're still all together and they're trying to get to know us. And I, it, it, you know, it feels like Saru's almost overcompensating to try to prove that they are, like, on the same team. Like, we're not spies. Like, we're not, we weren't sent here by, we're not temporal agents. Like, he's really trying. And I think that 
Vance is not only testing him to see where where his 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 loyalties lie, but he's also sort of like maybe giving him permission to relax, or maybe that's the test. Like maybe you should have let her do this. Right. Well, exactly. There's I, a there's a, a kind of like um yeah you're right you're right I think Holly is absolutely right it's like a fifty fifty it's like you have to be you have to be trusting enough to know that this mission is going to yield certain results but at the same time though you have to be strong enough to know that she can't go too far off the rails or else she'll never come back and be trustworthy as your number one and the, the, the uh, examples that we've had so far with say okay um, Paul that was a great example Spock going rogue to get Pike but he knew at the end he was going to get court-martialed for it but he said it was worth it it was worth it because he to Pike Spock was his his friend and he was loyal to him to a fault right yeah it's the same thing with Kirk to Spock they were loyal to a fault like in a mock time he said you know, Spock has saved me a dozen times over. Isn't that worth a career? And maybe that's where Burnham is right now. Like, you know, Book has been my companion. He helped me survive this entire year to get to this point. Isn't that just worth a career of a Starfleet that I don't really know if I fit into anymore? Yeah, I also feel like she's very she's very much sort of um, almost offended that people don't really understand that she'd been there for a whole year. There's stuff that she probably knows that that not everybody else knows there's experiences that she has that that no one else that that they don't know about it but book does mm-hmm. so like obviously and we find out at the end that 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 they do have feelings which i don't know how i feel about that i feel like maybe that's a little bit jumping the shark i was i was super cool with them not being romantically involved i was like good um but i mean obviously they have had experiences that that no one else on discovery can understand Right. Okay, so going back to this before, I, and one last piece I got to get figured out. When did he know? When did Saru know that she went on this mission? Because you, you want to tell me that he doesn't know that two of his people took a ship through the bubble, right? There's got it, this just doesn't magically happen. No, I mean he uh, he obviously probably <clears throat> knew pretty early on. I feel like they would he would have figured it out almost immediately right because like the ship they had to get the ship out of the presumably the ship was in the in the in the bay but the um, yeah but the discussion with tilly appeared to happen much later right so at the time but i also Brown, feel like that was a test on tilly because tilly figures it out when she goes and finds the cat in her quarters and is like computer locate burnham and then the computer's like i don't i don't know where she is there was a um, lot of subtlety kind of like being built into this whole game of trust who can you trust now like it's yeah, not it's not who, not who you could trust when you got here it's like who can you trust now and everything is a test it's like i said before like everything is just kind of like these 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 micro kobayashi maru tests because everything's about a test of character in starfleet you know whether you make the right decision or the wrong decision it's not about the decision you make it's about how you're going to live with the decision moving forward tilly made the right decision she said i'm here because we need to prove to vance that our ship is loyal to the Federation so we can move forward and save the Federation and save Starfleet. Which Saru absolutely says that he didn't expect her to say that. Right, exactly. To to discourage him from going to Vance. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure that Saru knew and wanted to see where Tilly's loyalties did lie with Burnham because they're best friends, right? So is she going to cover? Which means that he now has a bigger problem on his ship because now she has the loyalty of the crew, which is why she's number one, right? You know, and now the crew will always back her play even as she goes rogue. That's a huge problem for a captain, mm-hmm. having somebody be able to undermine his authority at every turn 
because of their loyalty. So that was a really, um, it, it was a really concrete way for, for Suri to say, okay, not everyone is on board with what she's doing, which gives me the ability to maneuver a little bit. So you felt like this chess game was going on a lot between, like, say, Saru, Vance, Burnham, Tilly. You know, it's just all these pieces were moving. And it's basically all about, are we all on the same page or not? Right? What's we amazing, all to, you know, if you think back, we're having this discussion about these characters, but those actors put that out in such a way that we actually question that. And how good are these actors to actually do that, right? To actually have those inflections and those different... And plus, it's editing, too. You know, you have various right. takes. Well, but. I mean, and to be fair, the writers are doing a fantastic job oh, of sort of stonewalling us on certain things, but giving us just enough information to be like, what is happening? Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I, I thought it was... The, the episode has got so many layers. And I mean, you just you just look at all the things going on and um, we can't... First of all, the one thing I got to talk about is that cat moment with Tilly. Oh my God. Did that remind you of... Oh my God. Of, that, of Scott and Jordy? That's I love that real. Scene. No, that that is so real. If anybody <laughs> owns a cat who tries to pick one up and and they don't want to be there, they're just going to mm-hmm. walk over you like that. So I yep. cannot. I can't wait to ask you the question at Vegas next year. Is like, did, did <laughs> was that planned, or did this cat just sort of start walking and they kept filming? Because oh, it was amazing. You when know? she's trying to get Grudge out from underneath the bed, <laughs> it completely reminded me of Jordy when he was trying to get Spot, Spot out from underneath yeah. the bed and was like, "Don't you spit at me?" When she is like, "I don't like you," I was like, "Oh." Yeah, that was that was a highlight. Um, I got two qu- two quick moments, and you guys can get your notes. Um, two other things. I think uh, first of all, who else would you like to have with you at your side in any kind of street fight? But Giorgio, I mean, that woman is kick ass. Oh my she god, is. She- I love I loved her line when she was like, "He's a bully," and they they crumble like a cookie when they meet a bigger one. <laughs> it was it was. Well, she's self aware. <laughs> Wow, I would not want to be on the opposite side of that woman. Even if, you know, and I, when and if we ever get to meet her, you know, in person, which would be such an honor, but you just go, uh, hello, here's my money. Yeah, Sign she's, whatever you want. She's I, incredible. <laughs> this would be so intimidated. Um, last thing I'm going to leave you guys with is that moment with Stamets and mm. um, the new identifying as woman, personally woman, um, Mm -hmm. actor and, and his understanding. I, in today's times, that comprehension of what that woman was going through, there's no doubt, right. That he's believing her. And and we all just need that right now with everybody because we've been driven to these judgments, right. It's like, well, she's crazy. She's talking this, but no, I'm going to join in what, how amazing was that whole scene? That whole scene, and the first thing that I noticed about that scene is that the representation, yeah. that there is an openly gay actor playing an openly gay character. There is a trans actor playing a trans character, and there's a non-binary actor playing a non-binary character all in the same scene. And it's just them. I and actually, it's such sorry, a fantastic I, scene. I, I wrote this in my notes, Paul, and... Um, because that's the, so th- this season so far has probably like pulled out the most amount of emotion out of me because it's just that some of these scenes are so beautifully done and and I, I made this note um, I said I've shed tears for several emotionally beautiful scenes in this season and this scene with Stamets and Adira in the mess hall was just wonderfully done and allowed Stamets to step away from his wonderkind self awareness and focus on someone who he sees in a similar way with similar troubles. Yeah, he was um, not a curmudgeon. Right. 
Exactly. Um, how he he has never really interacted that way with any other than normal mm. characters, right? Yeah. And he has embraced this character, understands the conflict, and just has been so supportive. And it, you know, I, I get there's a respect for the intelligence and how you can you know work off each other. But wow, what a tremendous scene! And and Holly, what a great this this should go down as you know one of those moments like the Kirk O'Hara kiss. If you really think yeah. about it, that. That is really a a progressive pushing this show back to where it should be as a leadership role for this kind of stuff. And, you know, there's people who are uncomfortable with it, but there was a lot of people uncomfortable with the the Kirk O'Hara case. I mean, there was a whole, yeah, there was a whole swath of the South. Right. They wouldn't even air it. stations wouldn't air it because of that kiss. So I, whatever. Well, I was alive um, then and, and noted, you know, I was like 10, 9 or 10, but I knew it was something major, right? And back then it was a little black and white TV. And so to watch this, you know, particularly in the, through that dark time when we didn't have track at all from like 05 to, to 09 and, and to see where it is and what they've done with it, I think they've been masterful. And yeah, you know, it, Discovery was all over the place that first year, but it's really hit its it hit its it's running now. It's magical season three. It's yeah, and they're all they're all like movies. You know, if you got yeah. the big enough TV and it just spreads out in front of you, Picard's the same way. That yeah. show is filmed so incredibly. So yeah, but I'm really glad that we're learning more about that <laughs> the dynamic between. Gray, because I suspected that no one else was able to see Gray. Like right. I, and we talked about this on the lo- uh, two episodes ago when we were talking about Norman and talking with Norman. And they, someone asked, like, if there was any precedence for her being able to see one of her uh, former hosts. And I actually said no, because there isn't any precedence for this, right? So there, and there were people in the chat that were like, "Well, what about um, uh, Field of Fire?" which is an episode of Deep Space Nine where Esri basically does this rite of emergence. She does this ritual so that she can talk to one of her former hosts. And uh, Jadzia does something similar in the episode Facets where it's like a telepathy thing. Um, And so there has been, and like the pools, and I mentioned that that's all like rituals that, yes, there's precedence for rituals. What's interesting about what's happening between them is that they're... They're so far removed from the ritual at this point. He's like a constant companion. That's never happened before. And I'm really interested to see, like, is she imagining this? Because no one else can see. So now the question is, is this basically like a constant companion, imaginary friend? Or is this a new sort of connection that Trills might be able to have? Well, is is it because the host is human? Right, is that the angle? Or is it because they had an intimate relationship? That too, right. sure. You know, so, so, I mean, I'm really interested, and I had said, no, there's no precedence for this, and some people were like, well, yes, there is, and I'm like, but there's not, though. Like, those were all immediate, after a ritual, and then, like, the host went away. This is, like, he's always there with her. That's never happened before, and yeah, I'm excited you, to learn why. You wonder if he can, if she can turn it off or on, you know, if... if man it's like it's really interesting it's, God, i love trills man trills i'm so excited that they're expanding on trills i love trills that was my that's my favorite episode so far this year and i i hadn't seen it before you guys talked about it two weeks ago and norman i apologize for stepping no up. no 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 no. you're you're the caller um, i'm just uh, <laughs> finding the food but <laughs> once once i sat back and watched that episode 
all the way through, I just came away and said, that's, that's one of the best Star Trek episodes I've ever seen. It was so emotionally gratifying on so many levels and challenging. And, oh, man, it's, this thank God this is happening. I, I just am so happy for Discovery catching its, its wings and flying here. And, you know, if Burnham goes away, if they stay out there in a, you know, 900 years from now, I mean, what's that going to do to canon? Um, it seems like they're sort of moving Michael you know, like a way yeah, they've put all this energy into Tilly and now you got this conflict with the captain and, and Burnham going down. And so who's going to be numbered, you know, how's this going to work out? Are they going to write a show about a science officer? You know, um, I think that I mean, the, it's, um, it's it, definitely not adhering to what we've known in the past, but discovery kind of never has. Right. It has to grow, you know, it can't be so formulaic as, as like, okay. So the audiences knew from season one to two, they knew what to expect. But they don't want to, I think they don't want to follow that mold anymore because they have to grow. The story has to grow. It has to grow past their central character because there are so many characters that are worthy of uh, development and attention. And especially when you bring in Gray and Adira, because that is probably one of the most amazingly written relationships that we've seen so far. And now you're bringing in Stamets and Paul, you know, to almost kind of like be mentors in that way. Yeah. And I, I love that scene where they're, they're you know, uh, together, they're off duty, they're in bed together, and they're just basically talking about, hey, you know, Paul's kind of turning that lens over back onto, um, I'm sorry, um, Hugh's turning that back onto Paul and saying, doesn't think she reminds you of somebody? You know, doesn't uh, this, this person who just works and works and works and doesn't mm-hmm. pay attention to anyone else but themselves, doesn't that remind you of somebody? And I'm just like... There, there are like literally like physical versions of the consciousness being at play here. Hugh being one for Paul and Gray being one for Adira. These are wonderful connections that are being paralleled against each other that allow these characters to evolve. And it's I so also done. I loved Hugh's comment when they're in that that sequence where they're in bed and they're talking with each other, mm-hmm. and uh, Paul is like spilling all of these things that he feels about Adira and his and his relationship with her and her relationship with Gray and his relation like all of it. And uh he was like, so tell her. Yeah. It that was such a great moment. Like, so tell her that. Yeah. They're breaking through these um these preconceptions of who they think they should be as opposed to where they are where they are headed as characters. And that was a huge theme in this episode too it's it's not about the people who you were it's the people that you are becoming the people that you need to be in this time with these new situations and these new people that are depending on you everything has changed right and i think that's it's something that's very challenging to viewers because as star trek fans we do fall in the lanes that we um lanes of comfort tracks that we believe that star trek should move forward through but when these changes evolve and they, they challenge us and they, they allow us to tap into something that we haven't felt before, that's powerful. That's something that's really important when it comes to entertainment. You need to have that change because if you don't, you're not challenging yourself as somebody who's watching entertainment. You're not tapping into those, those, uh, those primal emotions that make you feel something when you're watching entertainment. And if you're not doing that and if the show's not doing that, then why are we watching it? Right. right. <laughs> that's a great and, uh, question. I, I, I Full, full heartedly agree, and I think just that the whole nature of of where the show is going. But if you really think about it, look what Lower Decks did in ten episodes. 
right? God, Lower Decks is so good. Lower Decks did in 10 episodes what has taken three seasons for real actors to do in this show. Yeah. And then I'm rewatching Picard, and, and that show is sort of a sort of slower motion, but just mm-hmm. as intensity, right? It brings the history back in. They, they've really done a nice job, you know, on this, on laying these shows out for, for people who want different different things and they're trying real hard and i think they're actually you know they watched what star wars did through the 2000s with the clone wars and that and they sort of took that model and now they've they're they're doing a really i think they're doing a good job and i'm just i'm really excited that there's going to be that first of all that lower decks animated we have another animated series and i'm excited that we're going to get a children's animated series too um i love the animated series and i know that you know people there are some people that don't even know that the animated series from 1973 and 74 exists, but there's a sequence in this episode that 100% was, I was like, oh, that's the animated series. It's when, And I don't know if they did this on purpose, and I would like to know. I kind of think that they did. Uh, there's a sequence when she's, Giorgio's having that first flashback, mm-hmm. and... Burnham is asking her if she wants coffee or espresso, I think. Espresso, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And she's way off in the background and they zoom in on Giorgio's eye and her half of her face takes up half the screen. And I was like, it's an animated series episode because they did that in the animated series to cut down on costs. But right. I, I want to know if they did that on purpose. Well, that's, I'm sure that's an Easter egg that, that you picked up on that's, Obviously, you know, um, a, a touchback to the animated series. They do that, they, you know. Yeah, the animated series is so great because it fills in so much of like what was supposed to be like the last two years of, of the five year mission for the original crew. But I feel, yeah, like to your point, Paul, like Lower Decks is stuffed a lot of information into that first. Yeah, think about that half an hour show. And, and oh my word, it moves so fast. So anyway, I'll let you guys go. Um, one, um, here's this is a shout out for those Eagle Moss books. I'm not paid by them. I spend a lot of money there, but those books are phenomenal. Yeah. So yeah, really Ben Ben if, is if ben you're doing Christmas presents, incredible. Man, those things are so good. Ben yeah. is very meticulous, and he's he's high level expert. I worked with him a lot when I was at CBS. He's he's great. Well, he knows that the product that he's putting out is going to be scrutinized by the best oh, yeah. scrutinizers mm-hmm. out there, right? You know, including himself. So. You got to put out something to that to that level, to the Ben Robinson level. Yes, the Ben know, Robinson quality. level. He's a he's a class class guy to me too. So hopefully we all get to see each other uh, next August, COVID free and protected. I'm looking forward to that. So I think yeah, a lot of people are, and it'll be yeah. a really un, unbelievable moment. We can all get together and, se- yeah, and together to celebrate a, some sort of something there in Vegas. It'll be great. Anyway, peace. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Good to see you, my friend. Thanks, guys. Great to see you right. as always. Take care. Wow, that was that was a fantastic conversation with Paul, with Chris. Um, there are so many comments, and I'm so sorry that we didn't get to everybody. I know I'm chat. just glancing over every now and again, but like the, the comment Facebook comments are too small. I know it, it's not <laughs> a great format to to engage with the the listeners. However, um, we have a few minutes here left, Holly. So. Is there anything else that uh, you didn't get a chance to touch on in this episode that you wanted to get in? I uh, self-sealing symbols. Of course, right? <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> um, there was a was there a Cardassian 
in uh, very, I think very briefly we saw Cardassian. I was actually more excited that we saw Bajoran, and I thought it was interesting that, I mean, probably he's not wearing an earring because he's a, a slave, but I was like, mm-hmm. oh, he's not wearing an earring. And I, there was also a really light-skinned Andorian during the escape sequence. Right, yeah. And my, I was like, is that an Anar? And then I was like, no, it can't be because like, they're blind. <laughs> and he's like running and shooting. But right. I felt like maybe he has some Anar in him that like he's super, super light-skinned. Because that, like, that's a choice in terms of like them doing the makeup. Like That's a choice. And nice, um, nice, uh, nice trivia callback to Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, like uh, what's his bucket's daughter, who is half Anar and half Shran. Um, yeah, Shran. Yeah, mm-hmm. the I fantastic just, Jeffrey Combs, the Mister Everywhere. Yeah, Jeffrey. I just wrote a whole bunch of stuff about Shran, and I just like <laughs> what's his bucket. Like, no, I just wrote a whole bunch of stuff about him. What's uh, his bucket's going on the next T-shirt for um, Patreon uh, supporters? <laughs> just want to let you know, Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, it's about that time. It's the magic time where we have to say adieu to everybody. And I just want to say for, um, for Mission Log, um, for those of you who are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving, please do so responsibly. Please do so please, safely. Please, 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 please adhere to every possible safety precaution that you can because it's, it is a time for celebration. It's a time to give thanks. It's a time to reflect on what we have and what's been given to us and what we still have. And that is the most important thing is, is your health. So protect that. Be thankful for that. Be thankful for what we still have and what we can celebrate. And uh, let's make sure that we do what's right so that we can all see each other again when the time comes for whatever Star Trek convention that we get to first in 2021. Um, I really want to thank Holly for being here tonight. Um, I'm so thankful for what you were able to do with the recap and for all the questions and just all of the fantastic interaction that you've had you know, with our listeners and callers. So thank you. I'm very appreciative of you. And, thank and you. I'm, I'm thankful you guys have asked me to be part of the show. I'm having a good time. Thank you so much. And we're going to, we're going to see Holly again next week with John. And they're going to be talking about Unification 3. Yeah. You know, the domination or electric boogaloo or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks everyone for uh, joining us. And thank you to all of you who will join us later. Until then, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log is done by the indispensable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you would like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log and accessories provided by Inc.com. I got it this week. You did it! I should get a like a I should get a lottery ticket or something. (laughs) So again, thanks to everyone who joined us live or who will join us later. Stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy your break. We look forward to seeing you and talking with you later next week. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network